LD, aka the independent variable. Trip good, I was serving out the whole world. Welcome to episode two of the Spider Scoop, the most tremendous Richmond basketball podcast on the web. I'm your host, Noah Goldberg with ESPN Richmond, and I'm joined by a struggling Charlotte Hornets fan, but more importantly, he covers the Spiders for a 10 talk, and that's Austin Daisy. Him and I are joined today by freshman sensation Tyler Burton. That's going to come up in the second half of the pod about 30 minutes in. And in the first 30 minutes, we recap uh, the Spiders' victory over George Washington on Saturday and talk a little bit about the season going forward. So make sure you stay tuned for both of those and we'll see y'all after the Fordham game next Saturday. Alright, I'm Noah Goldberg here with Austin Daisy of A10 Talk. It's about one in the afternoon on Super Bowl Sunday. Richmond's coming off a 22-point win over George Washington. So Austin, George Washington, you know, I think a lot of people had him bottom four uh, probably a Wednesday team maybe a Thursday team in this conference but um, I mean they haven't lost by more than five points in any game in conference they only lost by five at St. Louis um, you know this they, they beat Davidson in four overtimes um, I wasn't expecting a blowout I don't know what you think I thought they could have won this game by five or ten I wasn't surprised but I wasn't expecting a 22 point uh, domination no yeah for sure this a 22 point win against George Washington the beginning of the season doesn't sound like a big deal but with how Richmond's played the last two games, losing to VCU and Dayton, and then how GW's been kind of picking it up, it's definitely a big win. It was one that I was kind of worried about coming into it. Um, obviously losing two straight can lower the team's confidence, but they bounced back in a good way and in a bunch of different ways. Things stuck out to me, looked a whole lot different than the VCU and Dayton games, which was obviously a recipe for success as they lost both those games yeah i think you brought up a good point in the post game too um i think you asked uh, mooney about not only winning this game but how important it was to win in the fashion that they won following that vcu game no for sure because vc the vcu game they started off slow in the first half slow in the second half and they found themselves constantly battling and having to fight back so gw only led for a minute 29 seconds last night so richmond had control of this for almost the entirety and Mooney kind of just spoke on how obviously that's important and it takes the pressure off the guys. It's it's fun to win by a lot, especially after you've lost two straight tough games. So hopefully they can use this as a confidence booster and a long week off before heading up to Fordham. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, being able to not play from behind, I'd be I'd have to double check this stat. I know they're below five hundred, but I think they're two and three when trailing at halftime. Um, you know, we've seen like against Dayton, you know, they were able to creep back into it and get, you know, get it get it within six but it's just so hard to play at that deficit so to to keep going forward um so we talked a little bit about earlier grant um he's two two games in a row now 20 points um i think you know they touched on after the game that you know just kind of looking at the matchups you know uh gw doesn't really have a big dominant interior force defensively uh what do you see from grant in this one no it was i was very pleased with how he played he only played 20 minutes but he had 20 points so he only played 20 minutes yeah Jeez, yeah, I didn't even see that. Seconds. Wow. But, um, yeah, 9 of 14. So he's just getting good looks down low. He, he also hit a three. You know, he's, he's good for that every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, he, he's playing more aggressive, like he said, post game. Um, especially with Blake being out, they needed somebody else that could pick up the pace with him being out. And Golden's done a good job. This was his third 20 plus uh, point game of the season and second straight. So 
sky's the limit for him as we head deeper into conference play and excited to see how he does against a team such as Fordham on Saturday, see if he can continue. Obviously, maybe he can get some more rest, only playing 20 minutes. He got banged up beginning of the season, so this could all be a part of the plan to have the guys rested as much as they can before heading up to Brooklyn. Yeah, I think th- this was a game I kind of looked at, and I felt like that Grant was going to have a big game, that they were going to feed it to him a lot, and Nate, which you know, both Grant and Mooney said after the game, you know, that was a game plan going in to work the work the paint. Um, outscored GW 50 to 34 in the paint. I don't know if I've ever seen them score 50 in the paint before. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that was huge from him. And I think his awareness was really good down low, too. I think I was shocked that GW didn't really seem to double-team Grant much. And in the second half, at one point, when they did double-team him, picked up Nate wide open under the hoop, hit him for a dunk. Um, so I was really great to see. Even though he didn't have big assist numbers, um, you know, I'm not surprised in a game where they're trying to force him to score. So I'm not shocked that he didn't um, have a lot of assists. But he had a really nice backdoor uh, pass to Nick, uh, who got the and one layup. Let's, let's talk a little bit about Nick, too. I think he... Well, he only made one field goal against VCU, and then tonight bounces back 15 points, 5 of 9, 2 of 2 from 3. But he also had four steals tonight. Yeah, and their steals were definitely a huge factor. Richmond had 13 as a team, um, and there they weren't all from Gilliard, which is kind of surprising. But mm-hmm. um, Gilliard had four, Sherrod had four, and that kind of that told the tale for this one. Richmond had 22 points off of those GW turnovers. GW, like we were just talking about, off air. GW doesn't turn the ball over much. Mm -hmm. And to force them 18 turnovers, I mean, that right there is huge because obviously if they don't turn the ball over much, they struggle to get back and they're kind of overwhelmed. Like, man, they're just stealing the ball at will. And Gilliard just, he had his excellent vision last night. Obviously, he's a guy that doesn't need to light up the box score from the points department. But just all in all, he's consistently one of the best players on the court for Richmond. And he actually only played 30 minutes. He normally plays close to 40. So mm-hmm. the guys are getting some rest, which is important. And, um, yeah, the turnovers were, were huge. Yeah. I think that if it wasn't for that, this game would have been a whole lot closer. And, um, I was really pleased with how they played last night. Yeah, I think it's pretty surprising when you look at this GW team, considering um, you know they're the type of team where they're a young team with a lot of freshmen that shoot a lot of threes, where we've seen a lot of teams like that in the past, like even UMass to some degree, where they can kind of explode on offense and teams got shooting but you see those young rosters, and they tend to turn the ball over a lot. GW is 56th best in the country in terms of least amount of turnovers. Wow. They're third in the conference with just 89 turnovers in conference play. And, I mean, that's that's really surprising with guys when they're starting, you know, two or three freshmen a lot of games. Um, I think Maceo Jack, they did a great job on him, limiting him uh, from shooting threes. Jameer Nelson Jr., six turnovers, not something you see a lot. He had a <laughs> horrendously bad missed dunk. <laughs> Uh, not a great game for him. But, yeah, no, I, was, I, I thought that was really impressive, um, especially, again, coming after VCU where they just really got worked on defense. And I, I really felt like as bad as the three-point defense looked against VCU, I thought the biggest thing in that was really their lack of awareness, especially weak side with the ball. They did a terrible job on the ball screens. But then even in the second half when they were trying to get back into that game, you just saw a lot of weak side help defenders where if it's like maybe Sherrod was in the paint had been mismatched on a – Santos Silva and you just saw him come to like help Grant on the other side and yeah. just left Santa Silva wide open on the weak side yeah no last night felt like everybody was just kind of clicking and everybody was kind of at the right place at the right time there weren't many moments I was just like oh man what, what was he doing like you said the VCU mm-hmm. game there were a ton of those moments and there really weren't many last night so 
kudos to um, the guys and Mooney for the game plan last night. Yeah, the only the only play that really made me nervous was kind of in the uh, they were like seven or eight minutes in, and Jameson Battle gets gets a dribble handoff off a ball screen and just take hits this ridiculous step back from like five feet behind the line over Tyler Burton, and he's got a lot. He's probably got one of the biggest wingspans on the team, and I just saw that and I was like. Oh boys, you know, it's Jameson Battle about to pull Bones Highland on us. But really, I mean, after that play, they really just shut him down the yeah. rest of the game. Um, they talked to the guys talked after the game that, you know, hedging ball screens and really trying to push through those screens was a big key for them. And I think that they played it smartly too. They did that, but they didn't expend their energy on every possession of fighting through the ball screens because there are guys, even though this, you know, GW was number one in three point percentage in the conference, but they do have guys that can't shoot. Like Amir Harris is below a thirty percent shooter from three. And I remember a few plays where they had been fighting through all the screens, and there was one where Harris had the high ball screen, and Gilly went way under that screen. I mean, he he gave Harris tons of room to shoot because they know he wouldn't shoot it. Yeah. So I think they played smartly, too, you know, picking the battles, knowing when to fight through those ball screens, and also understanding who the shooters are, who the shooters aren't. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the defensive awareness, they were very locked in, um, which is really good to see. But we need that to be consistent because it wasn't there at all versus VCU. And at the at the end of the day, you know they're now four and two without Blake Francis. They got two road wins. That's great. But in the in the six game stretch, they haven't beat a top five team um, in the A10. So we we need to see them do it against better teams. Yeah, know, kind of banking off um, them not expending the energy like you were just talking about. If like the the plan ahead, they're only down for minute twenty nine. It almost felt like they're like you know what we don't have to go full throttle right here. We're up by twenty. We mm-hmm. can we can kind of afford to kind of conserve our energy a little bit and. That's true, looking at the minutes, because normally, like I said earlier, you see Gilly, he's got mm. close to 40. 35-40 like every yeah. game. Yeah, so it's – I've said it again, I'm beating a dead horse here, but I feel like it's going to be super important down the stretch to have have our guys rested, and especially with the potential of Francis coming back. Yeah, so. and I think especially heading into, like, looking at the schedule ahead, you've now got a week off, and then you've got Fordham, who – and I, I wrote a little bit about it. How have they not been relegated out of this conference yet? Oh, no. You've got Fordham after a week off, and then you've got LaSalle, who you already beat by 18 and probably could have beat by 25, but they yeah, definitely sure. took the foot off the gas. Um, and then you've got those two heading into VCU. So I think being rested is really important. Um, so we talked a little bit about Blake. Um, we talked about him off air, but his four, uh, initial four- to six-week uh, time frame could be sped up a little bit. Mooney said after the game that he didn't give a date or confirm anything, but he did not rule out a potential return um, against Fordham this Saturday. I think they're ludicrous if they play Blake Francis against Fordham, bring him back early. There's no reason to do that. You have a week off. You're going to win this. I'm going to say it right now. Come at me. Freezing takes, cold takes, whatever, if they lose this. They're not going to lose to Fordham. I'd be shocked if they lost to LaSalle. If you really want it, maybe you bring him back against LaSalle, give him 15 minutes to get him to feel comfortable before the VCU game, but you need him for that game because looking at the schedule ahead, the only other chances you have to build your resume are at St. Bonaventure. We'll touch on this more later, but at Duquesne. So, this VCU game is potentially one of their last really big um, resume builders, so I think they really should save him until the week after. Yeah, Fordham. for sure. Yeah, speaking on Blake, um, before they let people inside, he had a little workout last night with um, Coach Jenkins, and it was a solid, tw- I'd say, 20-minute workout. And obviously there was no contact. It was just him catching passes and shooting and making moves off the dribble. But – I wish I would have kept track of how many he made and how many he missed because he seriously probably shot 80%. So despite being out for a while, he has not lost his touch. The shot is there. It's just a matter of hoping he can withstand the physical, the physicality of the game and try to avoid as many 
as many contact plays as possible until he's 100% ready. So like you said, I don't think it would be the best for him to play against Fordham because it's obviously not a game where we have to have all hands on deck. Um, but, no, I could definitely see him playing a little bit in LaSalle, like you said, to just make sure he's okay and then hopefully ready for VCU on the 15th. Yeah, man, I could really watch Blake warm up for, like, 20 minutes. He has just he just has the smoothest stroke. I mean, there's, like, Gilly, Gilly obviously a great three-point shooter, but I think, I mean, it's it's got to be between Blake and Nick. Like, they just have such smooth-looking shots. Yeah, you can just sit there and look at it all day. It's art. Yeah, so we, we touched on the turnovers a little bit um, earlier, but I want to kind of dive into that a little bit more. So not only do you force fifth or how many was it eighteen turnovers against a team that like we said is only third in the third in the conference in least turnovers, um, they only gave up four turnovers themselves, which I think was huge. And like we said, you know the offense was good. Grant did well down the post, but you know Gilliam didn't score a lot. Um, the really defense was the key of this game, and they scored twenty two points off of turnovers. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it's felt like the past couple games that we would look at the turnover stat, even in wins, and it's like, man, that, that seems high. Mm-hmm. I think, I can't remember who it was, but I think we had 17 before Dayton. I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of who that was. But it was just a lot of turnovers, and that obviously was a key factor in the game plan, just taking care of the ball. And taking care of the ball leads to good shot selection. I mean, they shot 30 to 58, shot 51.7%. So, I mean, hit more than half the shots they took, recipe for success, and – the ball movement's just been great, too. They had 17 assists tonight on 30 made baskets. So they're moving the ball well. They've been doing that well all year, but they did an extra special job of taking care of it last night, and that was a big part of their success, in my opinion. Yeah, I think touching on the assists was important, too, because I look, there's a stat. They're undefeated this year when they have more assists than their opponents. So I think that the ball movement's been a big thing for them. Um, and I think, you know, in a game like this, you could potentially see the assist numbers go down when you're – feeding grant in the post right. because you're not that you're not swinging the ball around the perimeter as much but no that's definitely good um kind of so we'll move on we took some twitter questions uh this morning uh first one comes in from three bid league podcast uh so they asked uh university of richmond is number one in the tempo since conference play started um they weren't moving the they were not running on the break nearly as much in non-conference play um, what do you think has been the difference so i think if i could start i think that for me, obviously, the majority of conference play has been without Blake Francis. And in no way is the offense better without Blake. Like, clearly it's not. But I think that the tempo has a lot to do with switching Andre and Blake because Richmond has forced 128 turnovers, which is the third in the conference. And when you look, there, I think there's two things that have to go with that. A, I think Andre is the better player defensively than Blake. So just I think from that alone, you're more likely to generate turnovers. But also at the same time, we've seen that Actually, Andre did hit a three last night, but Andre's not a good three-point shooter, and teams will leave him wide open. And like as we kind of talked about off-air, that not only is Blake a great three-point shooter, but he's such a threat that when he's in the game, he makes everyone else a better three-point shooter just by, you know, we saw like against VCU. They gave Grant gold and everything in the paint because they just locked in on Gilly and Sherrod, which made it impossible for them because they couldn't put other shooters on the floor. So I think that when you have Andre in there instead of Blake and the three-point shooting is suffering, that they'd much rather get out and run on the Blake. They'd ra- or run on the break, rather gen- you know generate turnovers and try to go score and transition because I think that they struggle a little bit more in their set half-court offense um, with Andre instead of Blake. I think, I mean, we've looked at three-point shooting. Like last night, you know, they were fine from the field, but, you know, Richmond was only 4-15 um, from three-point range. Yeah, that number's drastically yeah. different when Blake's playing. Yeah, Very VCU, they were 3-14 of 14 from three-point range. Um, so I think that I think part of that tempo has to do with, you know, they, they're they just more comfortable running on the break than running a set uh, offense. You know, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, 
I agree with that completely. And I think part of it is they've also gained the confidence to realize that we can kind of speed it up. We mm-hmm. don't have to necessarily play a slow-tempoed offense. And the guys have been scoring. I mean, it's like you said with Grant, when teams decide to leave him open because they want us to shoot the three, I mean, mm-hmm. he's going to punish you. He had, what, 24 against VCU. So, yeah, no, the tempo is a big factor, but falling in Richmond's favor, I feel like they can kind of play whatever tempo they need to. They could adjust. I mean, I would love to see them play a team like Virginia to have that, see how they would match up against the slower tempo because I do think they can slow down with the best of them as well as speed it up. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So moving on to the next sort of question, um, we got a couple similar ones here, but kind of merge into one. Uh, at Trevor underscore one grind, you can tweet at me if I said that wrong. I'm sure I butchered it. Um, he asked, what does uh, UR need to do for an at-large bid the rest of the way in terms of win or losses? Win, baby. <laughs> yeah. Just, just got to win. Um, yeah, Jay Lafayette, 19, also kind of had the same question. He tied in what we were trying to do to make an at-large without having to beat Dayton in the A-10 tournament. So, yeah, Richmond's just got to win. Um, it's really important picking up that Rhode Island win beginning mm-hmm. of conference play. That's going to be huge. They're, they're on terror. I mean, we all saw how they played against VCU. Ripped them apart twice. Yeah, they're, they're a team I don't want to see in Brooklyn because I feel like they're just trending in the right direction. They're doing everything right. So if Rhode Island continues to play well, that'll look good to the committee knowing that we beat them. Um, and like you said earlier, the last real chance at a big resume builder would be beating VCU. Um, they do go to St. Bonaventures, which could be tough, and at Duquesne towards the end of the season. Duquesne's kind of turning in the wrong direction, so I'm not sure – how big of an impact that could have to the committee for an at-large standpoint. But, no, we just got to win. Uh, Michigan State lost to Wisconsin last night. So any help Richmond can get that's from the outside is going to be a key factor at this point. Mm. Yeah, I think I – mean, I mean, for me, obviously you need to win that VCU game. And I think, honestly, they also need to win that. You don't have to dominate them, but you can't – you can't, you can't win by two in that game. You need to show – like they, like we said, they haven't beaten a really, really good team in conference yet, other than Rhode Island, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to see them, you know, possibly win that game by, you know, eight, ten points. Um, but honestly, for me, it's more they, – they've really got to dominate these easy teams. Like, I think last night against GW was actually a better win than some of us might think in terms of at large just seeing, like we said, GW hadn't lost by more than five in conference. Yeah. They played some pretty decent conference teams. Um, so I think to see them dominate GW – You've got at for yeah at Fordham and then LaSalle. So yeah, I think you need to like we said, they've already got three losses in conference. I'm already pretty pessimistic in terms of their at large chances. I think they're more likely to get in as a bid thief. I'd be surprised, but I'm not ruling out an at large at this point, just given how they like we said, they don't have a lot of resume building games left. But like you said, they could lose to VCU at St. Bonaventure is tough. At Duquesne could possibly be tough. So they need to take care of business in the games that they can when you can't afford you know, like we said, if they if they lose more than four games in conference, say goodbye to at large if it's not already gone. Um, so really, just locking in. You know, you got to get a dominant win at Fordham. Got to get a dominant win at LaSalle. Um, that that St. Bonaventure's game could actually be key because right now they're in a four way tie for third place with uh, who is it? They're with tied with St. Louis right now. Um, St. Bonaventure. Um, I don't know. There's two more. Who, who are the other six and three teams? VCU. VCU, yeah. So they obviously they don't have head-to-head on VCU. Rhode Island's a game ahead of them, even with head-to-head. St. Louis has head-to-head. Um, so you've got to take care of business. You have to, you can only lose if they lose any games in the conference besides VCU and St. Bonaventure. Say goodbye to an at-large. No, for sure, I agree. All right, so we're gonna do a little segment now. Uh, it's called over/unders. Gonna ask you some questions, just simple. Give me an over/under. So first one up, Tyler Burton will average 
17 minutes per game the rest of the way, over or under? That's tough. Um, he didn't play much against VCU. Played s- just about 17 minutes last night. Uh, with how he's been playing and if we're trying to really build his confidence as a freshman, I do think he should get the over on that, so I'm going to ride with that. He's showed signs, extreme signs of promise from a freshman. He's super athletic, so the, lo- the more he's in, the more experience he's gaining. So I'm not saying the over will happen, but that's what that's what I would go with. I would hope it would be the over in that situation. Yeah, if I was Mooney, it'd certainly be the over, but being as I am not Mooney, I'm actually going to take the under only because – you know, we've really seen him explode without Blake Francis. Now, some people have kind of touched and asked him in conferences, uh, press conferences about, you know, do you think that, you know, may your, your spurt to more playing time have anything to do with Blake being out, more opportunities? I don't think it has anything to do with that because they play, they fill totally different roles, total different positions. I think that, you know, Blake's minutes are only going to really affect Woj and Gustafson. I don't mm-hmm. think it had much effect on Tyler because, you know, the things Tyler does as a rebounder and as a defender are just night and day. Like, he's he's going to help out Nate and Grant more than he's going to be helping out guys so like Blake. Let's get a real quick. Jake Wojcik led Richmond last <laughs> night. <in the> <laughs> Six. Yep. They got, I mean, hey, like, honestly, like, they they got some surprisingly good rebounders. You look at, like, Nick Sherrod. He consistently leads them in rebounds a lot of these games, often more than Grant. So they're, they're getting production out of the guards. But they touched on a lot last year. Like, when they were one of the worst rebounding teams in the country, uh, you know, Mooney would always talk about we need to be a team ball hawking rebounding team. It's got to be a gang effort because you can't just count on Grant to go down there and grab a bunch yep. of boards. I think Nate isn't the best rebounder out of size, although I think he has been better lately. Um, but, yeah, I guess to, to kind of go back on to Tyler, I think he will get under 17 minutes a game because I just – with Mooney, you just never know in terms of minutes that, you know, he is a young guy and we've seen him be hesitant to play freshman um, at times. But I, I really would play him more than 17 He's been, what do you have, 12 last night? Yeah. Before the Dayton game, he had set consecutive career highs in both points and rebounds. I think he had 14-9 and nine, um, against LaSalle. I mean, he just fills a complete void for you. And we saw last night, like, 6 of 8, like, very efficient game. And he just provides you this source of athleticism that they've just never seen before. And especially in the transition. Like, there was one where Woj were up in transition. It was a three-on-three break. Kind of did a little hezzy move and just gave it to Tyler. Tyler just splits the defense, one dribble in the paint, just goes up and dunks it. And yeah, there's at least one like part that. of each game when you're sitting sitting beside each other, we're just like, God, man, this this guy's athletic. Like it's just it, it's something that you hear about and you see all the time. But when you watch him play, man, he he's gonna be something special. I really do believe that. So hopefully he gets over 17 minutes. Definitely. So next over under Richmond has a the three and a half seed going into the A10 tournament. You taking the over or the under? Uh, that's tough. Um. Honestly, I would say over because I really do think VCU has a chance of dropping another game or two. And with Fordham and LaSalle coming up, hopefully we'll be 8-3 and three heading into that. St. Louis is a team that just beat St. Joe's by five, so you don't know what they're going to get. Um, but, no, I can see Richmond going into the last day of conference play, kind of hanging on the 4-5 line. So it's going to be close. Um I'll take the over for the heck of it. Uh, but, yeah, no, if I would like to have the St. Louis game again, that's a loss that mm-hmm. that hurt, um, especially in the conference. Um, especially looking at like you said, they only beat St. Joe's by right. five. They only beat GW at home by five. Yeah, no, that's that's a game I would like to have back. But, no, I, I can see them getting a double bye in Brooklyn. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm also taking the over. I think they're going to ride like that four seed. Um, I think it's just really tough for the way head-to-head has worked out. Obviously, you had that win over URI, but I really don't see – I mean, they just beat – they. 
destroyed VCU twice now, so I don't see us catching up to them. Um, as of now, VCU has head-to-head on us. Uh, St. Louis has head-to-head on us. That du- I mean, if Duquesne keeps rolling, that could potentially be a big game at the end of the year. I think, like you said, I also think they're going to drop some games, so I don't think that'll be as big of an issue. That at St. Bonaventure game could be very, very important because Bonnies are 6-3 and three right now. Um, I think they got like 14 wins on the year, so but, you know they were they kind of they kind of floundered there a little bit non-conference, but they're really starting to push uh, into conference. And a guy like Oshuna Shuni is the exact type of player that's going to give Richmond problems. No, for sure, it's always the Riley Center is always a tough place to play. Mm-hmm. The Bonnies will be well lubricated for that game, so it could be a tough um, tough atmosphere. Yep. for sure. So the last one. So going into the season, I actually believe it or not picked Blake Francis to be the leading scorer for Richmond and lead them he did 17.6 points per game uh, before he goes down with a fractured sternum over under he will continue to average 17.6 the rest of the way when he returns I'm taking the over if he can withstand the physicality of the game because watching him last night he hasn't he hasn't missed a beat with his stroke I mean he I mean it was fun to watch it was like you said, I could sit there and just watch him warm up, as weird as that sounds. But, I mean, he's just got a smooth stroke. And mm-hmm. if he can withstand the physicality of the remainder of conference play and not have any setbacks with his injury, I fully believe he can score over 17.6 a game, without a doubt in my mind. So I'm actually going to take the under. I absolutely think he can, but I think there's a couple of reasons why he might not. A, I think that we've said it before, but this kind of injury is – less than re-injury risk it's going to be a lot about pain management every single movement you do runs through your chest so he's gonna feel pain and deal with it probably the rest of the year Um, especially for a guy like him where he does like to attack the rim a lot he takes a lot of really heavily contested shots with a lot of body contact you know we like to see him kind of drive and you know use that jab and then turn around where he's you know taking these tough mid-rangers that he's even taking contact on some of these jump shots so I think that could affect him, but I, I think he'll be able to play through it. I think what it more has to do with is, in his absence, if a guy like Tyler starts to, like, like we hope gets more than 17 minutes consistently, that's the thing is consistency. I think if we see some guys like Tyler, you know, Andre had nine points again. He had eight against VCU. I think if some of these role guys continue to score, and also if Nick, I think a lot of it has to do with Nick Sherrod, too, if he can get a little bit more consistent from beyond the arc which I think, again, as we talked about, I think he will when Blake comes back because I think Blake opens things up for him. So if we get some of the other guys to start producing more consistently in Blake's absence, just when he returns just for the sake of taking the pressure off of him, but I could totally see him having more uh, than 17.6 just because he's such a high-volume guy. He consistently likes to take 15, 20 shots a game, but I'd probably take the under on that one. Um, So I guess going ahead, kind of wrap things up. So I guess let's do some predictions. Where do you think this team heads into in Brooklyn? Heading to Brooklyn, the one realistic loss I can see and really kind of believe is VCU, just based on how they showed up at the Sequel Center this past week. But if Francis is healthy and going, that's another another threat that VCU would have to deal with. Um, looking at the schedule right now, I think they'll go into Duquesne and win the last day of the season. And the St. Bonaventure game really intrigues me. So mm-hmm. I could – at home, I can honestly see Richmond winning out. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, you got George Mason at home, yeah. UMass at home, Davidson at home. Those are three very winnable games. Yeah, so yeah, to go off the at-large question, if we lose any of those, we can, we can kiss that goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, take care of business at home and hang with VCU and beat them. And a loss to St. Bonaventure doesn't necessarily kill you on the road if you beat VCU. You can't mm-hmm. lose both of those, but... My gut is telling me Richmond's going to be 
a four seed in Brooklyn and will be playing their first game on Friday. I agree. Um, and I think that in terms of their at-large consideration, I think that URI win is going to be yeah. huge because, as we said, in terms of resume-building games, you know, at St. Bonaventure, I think looking at it in conference, if you know that is a tough place to play and that will look good. But I think in terms of at the committee, because of St. Bonaventure's lack of success and lack of good wins non-conference, that you know, winning there, the committee might not necessarily love that win for Richmond, that they won't uh, consider that very heavily. But, you know, you got to beat VCU at home. And like we said, I think they have to win it moderately convincingly. Um, you know, it will be huge, especially if they have Blake back. I'm really uh, intri- intrigued to see how that goes. But, you know, home against George Mason doesn't really build your resume much. At St. Bonaventure a little bit. At GW doesn't do much for you. Home versus UMass. You know, home versus Davidson. You know, at Duquesne to finish the year. So really they need that VCU win. That St. Bonaventure win I think is one of those ones where winning it doesn't help you a ton, but losing it hurts you a lot. Um, but realistically, I think URI's success has a lot to do with if Richmond's at-large consideration uh-huh. because if you potentially finish third in the conference and URI finishes second and you say, hey, they got a win on the road against URI, Richmond's an undersized team compared to them, you know, the committee could see that, possibly, you know, throw them in as the first four in. But I- I'd give them like a 25% chance to end of March Madness as an at-large right now. I really think they have to be a bid thief. And I could yeah. totally see that happening because I could see, you know, Dayton – they're going to be locked into the tournament. You know, if, I mean, I'm sure they'd love to grab a one or a two seed, but, you know, if they go in on the conference tournament and, you know, a guy like Obi's a little bit banged up, Abby's a little bit banged up, you know, they might, you know, take their foot off the gas a little bit. I could see them losing in the semifinals, and that opens it up for VCU, URI, Richmond. So, you know, we could see. But I, I'd, I'd give them, like, a 25% chance at an at-large. Yeah, and kind of banking off of Rhode Island, their schedule, they still have Dayton twice, mm-hmm. um, St. Louis. So those are three tough games, but if they can find a way to knock off Dayton, that's – even better it's kind of a win-win situation because mm-hmm. richmond's played both of those teams tough i mean they right. played dayton pretty well and dayton obviously they're going to be a lock i believe at number one in the conference so mm-hmm. if rhode island ends up losing both games to dayton the committee's not going to look at that like oh they lost to dayton twice mm-hmm. it's going to help richmond in the conference standings because we only got to uh, face dayton once so that's two more losses for rhode island that's another chance for us to kind of move up and who knows possibly get up to the two in the a10 so mm-hmm. it's it's up in the air. Well, it's going to be fun to watch. All right, finishing it up, one thirty Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. Austin, who you got in the Super Bowl? This is the first Super Bowl I've kind of been happy that about both teams that are in it in a long time. Um, what you say you don't like watching the Patriots every year? I, I'm sorry to say that, but <laughs> they, they've won enough. I'm a Redskins fan. I haven't seen anything <laughs> like that in my lifetime. But um, no, I want the, Damn, I think, so you got the Hornets and Dan yeah, Snyder in your life. That's sucks, terrible. Man. Thank God for the Caps and the Nationals. <laughs> but um, no, I – I want the Chiefs to win. I think they can. But if San Francisco is running the ball well, they're going to be tough to beat. They can run it down your throat. But I'm just hoping for a good game, as cliche as that sounds. But I'm excited to watch a Super Bowl where I'm not overly cheering against a team. I can just kind of watch and kind of appreciate what's happening out there. Yeah. Um, I got So I got the 49ers. Um, I would love to see. I loved Jimmy G when he was in New England, and I wish him nothing but the best in San Francisco when he left. Um, I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was one of the people on board that wanted them to get rid of Brady and keep Garoppolo, but I was a big Garoppolo guy, so I'd like to see him, you know, get the Super Bowl on his own. Um, but I don't hate. I mean, Patriots, Chiefs are definitely rivals, obviously in the AFC. I don't hate Pat Mahomes. You know, Andy Reid needs to get his ring, so I'm just rooting for a good game. I'm rooting for the over, really. I bet the over in this one, so I'd like to see some points. So really hoping the 49ers defense doesn't show up too much, but I'd like to see Jimmy G get some success. Yeah, I'm happy either way. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, so this is going to come out probably Monday night, Tuesday, so we we'll already know by then. We'll see how much of fools we were made. Um, so that's it for Spider Scoop Episode 2. 
Uh, stay tuned. We're going to have an interview coming up uh, right after this, so stay tuned for that. we got a week off until Richmond goes to Fordham, so it should be a nice, easy week. And uh, we'll see you all next weekend. Have a good one. All right, we got episode two of the Spider Scoop coming off of a big W for the boys against uh, GW on Saturday. We got a freshman Tyler Burton in the room. What's going on, Tyler? Nothing much. How you guys doing? Not too bad. So I got to ask you the first most important question. Would you say that me beating you in horse on your own home court has been your biggest source of motivation this season? Uh, Not my biggest, but definitely a big one. I mean, losing in horse to someone who doesn't play basketball isn't the best in the best showing of what I can do. So we don't we don't count recreational league basketball as experience. If you want to, you can. That's all you. Can. <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll we'll get back to that one later. Um, so seriously though, so I think a lot of people kind of get lost in the fact you're a student athlete, especially you versus some other freshmen in the past have had a bigger role this year, and people kind of forget like you're just a freshman in college. You're coming to a whole new state. A uh, whole new part of the country. So what's the transition been like, whether it's on the court, off the court, just coming down to Virginia? It's been solid. I mean, my coaches and teammates have taken good care of me, showing me the ways around, showing me what I need to do, telling me what I need to do, just helping me every day. So uh, it's been pretty good. I have family out here too, so they show me around the city a little bit, so I'm not completely lost now. But uh, it was a good good transition, easier than uh, if I went anywhere else, I can tell you that. Yeah, I mean, it's hey, you know what? It's freezing cold back there. What's it, 71 degrees out today? I got shorts on right now. <laughs> I know, right? I'll take that for sure. <laughs> So what's been your favorite part about being at college versus being in high school? Um, honestly, just waking up every day and knowing that today is going to be productive, honestly. I mean, back home, you could wake up and literally do nothing the whole day, and that doesn't happen too much out here. Mm-hmm. So uh, just waking up, no matter what you do, it's going to be a productive day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm going to put that above my uh, door for and I wake up every morning. That's a, that's a good motivation right there. <laughs> Bulletin board right there, for sure. Um, so I guess kind of a little bit more on the court. Um, what's it been like to, you know, go from like a high school gym to, you know, that environment against Dayton? I mean, that's, that arena was insane. Yeah, it's a lot different. I think I said that on the radio the other day. Um, it was my first time playing in front of a sold out Robin Center. I mean, the Robin Center gets loud regardless, but it was on a different level that night. And, uh, it just kind of caught me off guard when, uh, Gilly hit the back-to-back threes. Couldn't even hear anything going on. Couldn't even hear my own thoughts. It was just... It's crazy to think that I'm on the court and they're screaming right now. Mm. It's always been a little dream of mine since I was a kid, so it was just cool living that out. Did you take a visit last year during one of the games? I did not. Um, I took a visit in the off season, and okay. I uh, didn't get to catch a game during the season. So, yeah, so you didn't get to see any environment like that. Um, so I guess – so I want to talk to you. You and I have kind of talked a little bit in the past, but I think that for you a lot of stuff besides basketball kind of played a part in you coming here. Um, I know academics was really important to you. Like, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, academics is really important. I mean, the ball stops bouncing one day, so I just felt like if uh, if anything went wrong, thank God, hope, hopefully it doesn't knock on some wood, but uh, if anything went wrong, I'd have my education to fall back on, so I think I'm in a solid place right here with Richmond. Do you know what you want to study? Um, somewhere along the lines of business, not sure. It might be economics, might be finance, who knows, but uh, yeah. just right now trying to get into business school. Yeah, you got a little bit of time freshman year. Yeah. You got some time to go. Um, so I guess kind of moving on from that, what do you think have been the biggest challenges, whether it's challenges or just differences on the court in terms of basketball, uh, just the differences from high school to college, whether it be the day-to-day preparation, the speed of the game, things like that? Yeah, day-to-day is a lot different. You're going hard every single day. You had an off day here and there, and you're still working out on those off days, so it's never really a complete off day. But, yeah, just things are faster, more physical, but the game's starting to slow down, and you, you get to learn how to play at this level, and, I mean, a lot of people can do it. So it's doable. So you mm. just got to 
embrace the grind and just get used to it. Do you think playing in the Princeton offense kind of makes that transition any different than if you played at another college? Um, a little bit. Uh, there's certain ways the Princeton has to run. Um, there's certain motions. There's certain things that have to go down uh, when something happens when the ball moves. But uh, other than that, I don't know if it'd be too hard in other systems. I mean, it's hard to adjust anywhere you go. Mm. So um, whether it be Princeton or not, I think college basketball is a tough adjustment. So I think I think your skill set has made that adjustment probably a little bit easier than other players because I think that based on your just athletic ability, even before the offense comes in your comfort level, that you're even a guy who, before you even develop those skills, could just go in as a defensive sub. Anything on offense is a plus, and we've certainly been seeing a lot of those pluses lately. Um, so where do you think we've talked about, like for you, a lot of, for you, there's basically getting on the court was a lot about comfort level. It was just being comfortable in front of the crowd and comfortable in the system. So where do you think that comfort level's at at this point in the year? Um, I think it's getting there. Um, I wouldn't say I'm completely comfortable. There's still some things I haven't tried. There's still some things I haven't done. But um, it's, get, it's going along pretty well. Um, I mean, day to day, I'm just getting, I'm just trying new things, just getting more acquainted with the offense, getting more acquainted with the system. And um, it's finally starting to click, but I think there's still a lot more that needs to be done. So after the George Mason and LaSalle game, which were kind of somewhat breakout games for you on offense, I know you know you say it all the time, You know whether you play five minutes, seven minutes, 20 minutes, whoever you play, you approach every game the same. But did it kind of, what, what did that feel like? Like were you, you must have been amped up after those two games, right? Um, a little bit, uh, not, not too amped. I mean, uh, I know the work I'd been putting in, so it didn't catch me off guard or anything. I knew it was bound to happen. It was kind of all in my head, mm-hmm. just a confidence issue I had. So uh, it didn't surprise yes. me too much. I just knew it was going to happen. It just happened to happen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Tyler, kind of, kind of banking off of that, coming in as a freshman on a junior heavy team, were these the type of minutes you were expecting to see as a freshman? Um, I'm not sure uh, what I expected really to see. I, when I was getting recruited, I sort of looked at spots I might be able to play right away. And um, Coach Mooney and Coach Jenkins, they told me if I do the right things, I'd have a shot. So all I needed was that shot. So I just needed a place where they would give me an opportunity to play, and thankfully they gave me an opportunity to play here. So I know you got Gabe as a fellow freshman, but you're the only scholarship freshman on the team. Yep. You know, how, how has that been like being you know, the only guy in your class on scholarship? Um, it's, it's been fine. It's been normal. I mean, you're surrounded by 14, 15 other scholarship guys every day, so it kind of you're never really just that You freshman. don't really notice the difference. Yeah, I mean, the only difference you really notice is when you're running through the offense and I don't know it, and everyone else does, and there's mistakes being made. But other than that, yeah, it doesn't really come up too much that I'm the only scholarship freshman. So how does you kind of going off that, how valuable has it been for you to be able to come in where you have certainly have the skill set to play right away, but you've been in a position where you don't have to come in as a starter. You can kind of come in as that role guy with 10 to 20 minutes and really playing under some really good leaders, being able to learn under guys like Grant and Nate. Uh, I think it's been great. I mean, Grant and Nate set great examples as long as Nick and Jacob and even Blake, um, even though he's he's newer to the system. But um, I just think it's great coming in and seeing how the offense should be run by veterans, seeing where the gaps are, seeing people drive. Because, I mean, when we score, sometimes people aren't necessarily following the play and they're just going to make their own shot within the offense. And it's great to see where you can get your shots off and how you can get your shots off in the offense because I wouldn't have known that if I was starting as a freshman. So has your approach to the game, you know, kind of between the ears, changed a lot since you've now transitioned from high school to college? Um, a little bit. I could try to keep the same uh, mentality, just kind of go out and just do what it needs to be done to win. Mm-hmm. So um, not much has changed between my head, just my confidence levels and just making sure I'm doing the right things. Mm-hmm. So doing, speaking of doing the right things, since you've started conference play, at least from the perimeter, you certainly have been. You shot, you're shooting around 24% from deep on the year, but 
Since you started a conference, probably 36% from three. What's been the biggest difference for you? Uh, just extra time, putting in extra time, uh, getting up extra shots, just making sure my shot's right, making sure if I'm open it's going to go in or it should go in most of the time. But, uh, yeah, just extra time and effort, just dedicating myself to the grind. Um, so I guess the three-point shooting, you know, kind of ties in with some consistency stuff for you guys. I think that, especially since Blake's gone down, uh, we've seen, you know, the three-point shooting's been a little bit inconsistent. Um, what do you what do you think has been the biggest factor uh, in terms of that? Um, repeat that one more time. Bet. Just the, the three-point shooting uh, inconsistency. You know, we've seen Nick kind of go up and down the past few games. You guys really struggled to shoot the ball from deep against VCU. Um, and this, you know, in the one against George Washington, you guys were great from the field, but I think you only hit four or five threes. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know where the inconsistency is coming from. I mean, everybody's getting shots up on their own time. Everybody's making sure they're feeling good for the game. Um, I think it's just might be a mental thing uh, mm-hmm. at that point. But um, I know the shots are going to fall. I've seen them fall. So I just think once Blake gets back and we'll get back into the swing of things, shots will start to fall and things will change. Yeah, so I think you mentioned Blake. I think that's been the biggest difference for you guys in terms of those inconsistencies because, you know, obviously Blake is a great shooter. But I think that at the same time, he also opens up the floor so much. Because when you have Blake on the floor with Nick and with Gilly, then they can't double-team Gilly. They can't, you know, Definitely. crowd those guys in the perimeter. So I think it also draws defenders off them. So I think that's been huge. Definitely. Um, so kind of like staying with the with the consistency there. Um, so you guys have, like we said, just been up and down with the shooting a little bit. Um, but so personally for you, you've kind of been growing. You've been a lot more consistent lately. What do you need to do? differently the rest of the way because i know it can be tough as a freshman when you get six minutes some games 15 minutes other games so find that consistency can be challenging what do you need to do through those minutes to improve what are your goals what do you need to change uh in the limited time left um i wouldn't say i need to change too much i just think i just need to keep competing and um, my coaches will tell me what i need to do mm-hmm. um they tell me the shots i need to take the uh how to get better shots just keep attacking and just keep my mentality the same just keep competing is there a part of your game that you just personally want to work on the most um everything honestly everything. i want to get better in every single aspect and just get to the highest level possible mm. so how do you you kind of talk about that everything i think being six foot seven but you're not you know a back to the basket guy you certainly can go in the post but you know how, how do you think it separates you from maybe some other guys in the conference at your size being able to be a little bit more of a dynamic player um, I think it helps me a lot because um, if I have a smaller defender on me, then I can be a back-to-the-basket guy, but I also have a little bit of speed, so I might be able to take that smaller guy just off of speed alone. And then when I got a bigger guy on me, I can go around him. I think it happened in the LaSalle game a couple of times. I had, I think, a seven-footer on me, and I just went by him. And um, and then if I have a guy my size, it's kind of just my choice. However he defends me is however I'm going to play offense. So I know, I, you know, I know you say you, you want to be a well-rounded guy, but in, in your heart, perimeter or interior whatever gets enough buckets whatever gets the, the buckets it's good that's a good answer that's a good good answer um so i guess for me you so you guys are six and three now you're in a four-way tie in the conference how do you guys feel about where you're at so you guys have kind of been borderline of getting that two seed but you're also pretty much equally as close to getting that fifth seed i think we feel pretty good i mean we're in a great spot i think personally because blake's about to come back and things are about to change and we're about to just get even better so i think we've been playing pretty well through conference so far and just knowing that he's coming back it just really just helps us have that much more confidence that we're going to be fine in the long run. Mm-hmm. So do you think that is it, it's somewhat a blessing in disguise? I mean, obviously you never want to lose a player like that, but how much do you think that, you know, playing without him when he comes back, how much is that going to help you guys of being able to, you know, learn to play down and then bring him back into the lineup can only make things better? It'll definitely help us because we know we can trust each other now. I mean, we've always had that next, up, next man up mentality the whole season, and it just showed 
when he was out, and we're going to still have that mentality when he comes back and still be ready to have that next man up. So it's just it's just a great feeling. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much it for me. Austin, you got anything to add? Yeah, I was sitting here thinking. I was telling Noah yesterday, there's at least one or two times a game so far this year where I'm kind of tapped him on the shoulder or bumped him and said, this dude is athletic. Can you kind of speak on how, because obviously, you know, you're a tall guy. Have you always kind of had that natural athleticism, or was it something you kind of had to grow into as you got older? Um, a little bit of both. Uh, there was a time where everyone around me was grabbing the rim or really close to dunking back in middle school, and I wasn't even close, could barely touch the net. And, um, yeah, I just – I always seen people uh, – I saw – I remember I saw Bruce Brown when I was in middle school, and he was in high school, and he just came down the middle, and he just, like, tomahawk dunked. And I was like, man, that's really cool. And especially a guy from Massachusetts, a guy playing on an AAU team I was playing for, it was like, I don't know, I don't see why I can't do that. So I just kept trying to do it, working on my – athleticism working on my bounce and it just happened who's the bounciest guy on the team um putting you on the spot here putting me on the spot yes, here. Sir. i'd say a toss-up between nate and i honestly nate nate, nate is sneaky bouncy and uh nate's got some bounce he just sometimes he doesn't show it sometimes he shows it but in practice <laughs> he's caught me slipping a couple times and he's thrown down some crazy dunks yeah, well, that that pretty much wraps it up for me. Um, unless Austin, you got anything else to go with? Yeah, we're all good. Appreciate the time, Tyler. No yeah. problem. Appreciate it. Hey, good luck th- on uh, Saturday Be at Fordham. Yes, yeah, sir. Appreciate it. Hey, I should have put you somewhere where no one could find you. Mansion out in the sticks with nothing around you. Katy, Texas, Dallas, Texas, you know a different environment. Cause you got desires. I know. I know. You got desires, I know, I know, I know. Cause you got desires, you got that fire, and I'm not a liar. You had me down on my knees every day, had to talk Messiah. I'm in that 80 and one and the two, this is different. Yeah, I try to pay all your loans off and cop you a driver. I had you stand too close to the city, you acting too vulnerable living this life I said I moved you away from Houston before I copy all this ice You wanna be my number one, you're not acting like the main thing I let you play my number two, you barely made the second I should've put you somewhere where no one could find you Mansion out in the sticks with nothing around you Katy, Texas, Dallas, Texas, you know a different environment Cause you got desires, I know, I know You got desires, I know, I know, I know. But you got desires, hey. Self control has never been your thing. Don't think it'll help if there's a ring with a rock in it. Where I'm from, they serve the soda clean. You come from a city where there's lean with the rocks in it. How the fuck you keep so many secrets? How you going vegan but still beefing with me again? How the fuck you seen so many beaches? Tickets to them places don't come cheap here. I see you back in Turks, remember who took it at first and don't you forget it. Got you a whip, but then you got back on your shit. I had to tell Eric, go get it. I'm always moving too fast, the feeling don't last. I feel like you take me for granted. Probably my fault for the way that I handle it. I should've put you somewhere where no one could find you. Mansion out in the sticks with nothing around you. Katy, Texas, Dallas, Texas, you know a different environment. You got desires, I know, I know, I know. 
you got desires I know, I know, I know But you got desires Shorty, you try it. Voice getting filled with entitlement. Why would you tell me those lies? Why would you make it so bold to my face? Why are your stories all over the place? Whole lot of secrets friends don't keep safe. Where did your friends all go? I can't solve your problems. You say your problems never needed solving I was too good till you should've stayed solid Nice guys always finish off where they started Deja vu, you wanted things and you got them Deja vu, I wanted smoke and I got it Deja vu, deja, deja, deja.